This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome back to Games with Bill. I gotta ask you a question. Before we get started with all of the news, I had a lot of uh, video game news stories that I had to cut out of today's show because there's no way for me to fit it all in. So here's my question to you, and then we'll get started. Do you want to see these episodes more often? Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, hit me up in the comment section down below or send me a message on Twitter at RunJumpStomp. I'm curious how you guys feel about it. Let's get started, though. One of my favorite games on my Xbox 360 was Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, and Mass Effect 3. It's actually one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I never finished them. Uh, Big surprise there, but this time, it's not my fault. I didn't finish these games because the save game for Mass Effect 3 on my Xbox 360 got corrupted, and I didn't want to start all over at the beginning. And now it's been so long that I feel like if I wanted to start over, which I did because I bought the Trilogy Legendary Edition on my Xbox, I I would have to start all the way at the beginning of, of Mass Effect 1, which while is a fantastic game, it's pretty long. And then I have two more after that in order to complete the story. So, you know, lesson learned. Maybe I shouldn't have picked that up. Um, But I really shouldn't have picked it up because now it's on Game Pass. And uh, if you have an Xbox and you subscribe to Game Pass, then don't wait on Mass Effect. It's really fantastic. If you've never played these games, you're going to enjoy it. The Legendary Edition has, like, graphical upgrades, which is great. And uh, they've also changed a few things about the gameplay for Mass Effect 1 in order to improve it along lines of Mass Effect 2 and 3 because they did a good job improving from game to game. I know that there's a little bit of controversy over how Mass Effect 3 ended. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't know the answers anyway because, like I said, my save game got corrupted. But I have nothing but fond memories for uh, Mass Effect 1 and 2 and about half of three so if you've never played these games definitely check them out if you've got access to uh, game pass because you're in for an absolute treat let me ask you a question and uh if you're watching this on my youtube channel obviously leave a comment in the uh comment section down below uh because i really want to know what you all think about this when a developer or a publisher brags about how long their game is like Dying Light 2 just was bragging that their game is going to take you over 500 hours to uh, 100% that game. Is that a selling point to you? Because for me, it is absolutely not a selling point. To me, that is something that says, well, all right, Bill, you've got so many games to play. You can easily check this off as do not play, not because it's not going to be a good game, but because, you know, I know myself. I have a minuscule attention span. And my memory is terrible. And playing a game that is 500 hours seems like such a huge, insurmountable task that I just automatically wash my hands of it. Uh, Another example would be The Witcher. Uh, I've heard nothing but wonderful, glorious things 
about The Witcher 3. And I even own the game. I own the game on the Nintendo Switch. Got it as a review copy forever ago. Uh, I bought the game, uh, I think it was through Humble Bundle at some point on my on, on my computer. And I've played, I don't know, probably two or three hours of it. Just enough to realize, okay, this is a really good game. I can definitely see how you can get lost in this world. But every single time somebody tells me, oh man, I love The Witcher 3 so much. I've spent hundreds of hours playing this. And then when Blood and Wine came out, uh, there's another couple of hundred hours thrown into there. Which, if you are looking at your game to dollar ratio, that's definitely something that is compelling. But when you are looking at something that that means that's hundreds of hours that I can't do anything else. I don't know. It kind of puts me off. And I tend to gravitate more towards games that are, well, okay, this, this isn't true. I tend to gravitate to, to all kinds of different games. And I tend to enjoy them for 10 to 20 hours. Uh, the really, really ones that hook me, like those I will play over and over for really, really extended periods of time. But most of the time, games cannot hold my attention for hundreds upon hundreds of hours. So when I hear that a game has 500 hours of content, I look at that and say, no, thank you. Uh, and I'm curious how everybody else out there feels about this. So let me know in the comments down below or hit me on Twitter because I really wanna know where you all land on this idea of 500 hours in a game. In previous episodes, I've talked about why I want an Oculus Quest 3, not a two because I think a three is coming soon and I wanna buy it right as soon as it comes out. That way I can enjoy the experience for as long as I possibly can rather than buying a two now and then having the three come out and feel like, oh, I should have waited a little bit. One of the reasons why, even though I personally really don't like Facebook or Meta or whatever nonsense they want to be called, one of the reasons why I still am interested in Oculus is because it is a completely wire-free experience. I don't have to have like a wire going from the headset to my computer. Now, of course, you can do that if you want to use your computer with the Quest, and that's awesome. But I've only used it in a wire-free environment, and I thought it was really cool when I did. That being said, Sony has kind of gotten my attention here with their announcement about the PSVR 2 and the controllers that go along with it. And here's why the PSVR 2 is suddenly so enticing to me. Number one, it doesn't involve my computer in any way. My computer is pretty good, but it's not top of the line. And I think that a PS5 is probably a, a lot more powerful than my computer. Secondly, it's just plug and play, so I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And then thirdly, and the reason why I'm willing to put up with that wire is the, stu the, the stats that come along with the PSVR 2. So let me tell you what these stats are because I have to say they are very very impressive. Let's start with the resolution. The PSVR 2 is a 4K HDR 110 degree field of view, and it has what's called foveated rendering, which means it looks where your eyes are looking. And once it understands that, it re-renders the scene. So the eye tracking 
makes it that 110 degree field of view feel even bigger. I don't know if that makes sense the way that I'm saying it, but basically it tricks your brain into thinking that you have a wider field of view than you actually do, which is very, very compelling. In addition to that, they also have a smooth frame rate with each lens at 2000 by 2040 per eye and the frame rate is 90 hertz up to 120 hertz. This is very, very important. The reason why people tend to, uh, I guess I would say get seasick when they're playing games in VR is because there's something going on with their brain where their eyes are telling them one thing, the, the stuff in their ears is telling them something else, their brain can't figure out the difference between the two and they start to feel sick. So. If there's any kind of latency when you move your head back and forth in a VR scene, you might start to feel like seasick. You'll feel sick to your stomach and you won't enjoy the experience. The higher the frame rate, the less likely that that's going to happen. So having a 120, uh, well, 90 or 120 frame rate is very, very good when it comes to VR. Of course, it's good in all of gaming, but for VR, frame rate is far more important than I think anything else. They also talk about these new sensory features. They're gonna have some of the stuff that's in the PS5 controller built into the controllers for the, the, uh, for the VR too, but they're also going to have rumble in the headset. I'm not sure how I feel about rumble in the headset. You look at the Nintendo Switch and their HD rumble, and you look at what uh, Sony's done with the PS5 controller, the DualSense, uh, so far been pretty really, I've been pretty impressed with those things. I'm a little nervous about what it's going to be like to have the headset vibrate. I think that that might end up actually being annoying. Only time will tell. Hopefully Sony gives us a way to turn it off anyway. Um, the, the thing that I think a lot of people are very excited about from the PSVR 2 Myself included, somebody who does not own a PS5 yet, knock on wood, um, is that we're going to be getting these games from Sony that you're not going to be able to play anywhere else. And that is um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Is, is They're making a Horizon Zero Dawn game in PSVR. And uh, I love the first one. And the second one is, is supposed to be fantastic. This VR version of it, I just can't imagine playing the game and looking up and seeing these giant robot dinosaurs like towering over me. That sounds so damn cool. E3 2022 is online only again. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people who are disappointed by that. I'm not really one of them. As somebody who will never, ever be able to go to E3, I really only get the online experience anyway and actually most people only get the online experience and last year i predicted that we would never see e3 again uh the reason that i predicted that we would never see e3 again is because so many publishers and developers would realize it costs us way too much to fly everybody to one location get things all set up so that we can show things off it's much more cost effective to just do an online thing where we can just show a video like Nintendo does with the Nintendo Directs. And like, that's why Sony has been skipping E3. That's why Microsoft kind of does their own thing. Like 
all of those kind of things means that E3 feels a whole lot less relevant now than it did in the past. And because of that, I think nobody at all is surprised that E3 won't be coming to LA this year. It's just going to be another online thing. My question to you is, do you care if E3 is a digital only thing or has E3 now just become a part, a separate uh, thing, but a part of what is kind of replacing it, the Summer Games Fest? And, you know, say what you want about Jeff Keighley or the uh, video game awards and, you know, how they treated the whole Activision Blizzard Ubisoft thing. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that they kind of like, they kind of bring hype to games, which is exciting for me. Like the only, the, the, the whole reason that I get excited about E3 is because it's announcement after announcement after announcement about video games. And that's fun. That's why I watch the Game Awards. It's not because I care about the awards. I don't. I like watching announcements. I like being surprised about stuff. And E3 was always the place where that happened. But with E3 going completely digital and with the Game Awards happening at the end of the year and then you have the Summer Games Fest, Nintendo doing the Nintendo Directs, Sony doing whatever Sony does, the State of Play... And all of this almost like uh, spreading out of gaming news, I feel like E3 is completely irrelevant at this point. Does that mean I'm not going to watch it with bated breath and get super excited when a cool announcement happens? No, of course not. But it doesn't end at the end of E3. It just continues with with Summer Games Fest and we see big announcements all year long. I feel like the gaming industry has outgrown E3. E3 is too small. One week, well, it's actually a weekend with a bunch of announcements around that weekend, but one week of time is not enough to really showcase all of the different things that can happen in the gaming industry. And I think that that is a good thing. Now... <laughs> I feel like I have to talk about this because it's been trending on Twitter for days at this point. Um, Nintendo Kart. What is Nintendo Kart? Well, it's Mario Kart 9. Well, what is Mario Kart 9? Nintendo hasn't announced anything. No, they haven't. But somebody said, hey, you know what? Uh, as, as an analyst, I'm here to tell you that Nintendo's working on Mario Kart 9. And... And there's a twist. Now, did they say what that twist was? No. Is anybody, anywhere, ever going to be surprised at the idea that Nintendo is working on the next Mario Kart? I don't think so. I think Nintendo has been working on the next Mario Kart for since the Super Nintendo. Like, they've never... Like, I don't think anybody has ever not been working on the next Mario Kart game. So the idea that somebody's working on an, uh, Mario Kart 9 seven years after the release of Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U, I don't think that there's anybody surprised about that. So what's the twist? Well, the twist could be, I mean, look, I've said on this show many times, what could Nintendo add 
to Mario Kart to justify Mario Kart 9 instead of Mario Kart 8. Because you can already fly, you can already drive on walls, you can drive underwater. The only thing I can really think of is like double dash stuff. So where's the twist? What is it that they could add to it to justify Mario Kart 9? And the thing that I've always said is turn it into Smash Kart, where instead of making just having Mario characters in it, you bring in Mario care you, you bring in characters from other games. We already saw that in Mario Kart 9 Deluxe when they added uh, DLC from Animal Crossing and uh, Zelda into the game like that that really opened things up and said hey who else what other franchises could we add to this and we just saw how super super successful smash brothers ultimate has been so it makes perfect sense for us to get mario Kart, mario kart ultimate or nintendo kart or smash kart which i think is a better title whatever it is I think that there's nobody out there that's surprised that it's being worked on. Will it come to the Switch? That's the real question. Because on one hand, it generally goes that there's one version of Mario Kart per system that comes out. There was one for the Super Nintendo. There was one for the Nintendo 64. There was one for the GameCube. There was one for the Wii. There was one, you know, it just keeps going like that. So, you know, we've already had one for the Switch. So is that our one and done for the Nintendo Switch? I don't know. And here's why. It's been seven years since Mario Kart 8 came out because it came to the Wii U originally. And it's actually a port on the Nintendo Switch. So does that count? Will we see Mario Kart 9 or whatever Nintendo decides to call it on the Nintendo Switch? I think so. I don't think it makes sense for Nintendo to hold it for another five years because we've already heard Mr. Furukawa, president of Nintendo, say that they feel like they're only halfway through Nintendo's uh, the Nintendo Switch's life cycle, which to me is crazy because the hardware was already pretty old five years ago when it came out. Uh, at this point, it's extremely long in the tooth, and I think that new hardware is definitely warranted when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, but there's no motivation for them to upgrade that hardware because the Switch is still selling like absolute crazy. And we just had Mr. Furukawa say they can't keep them in in store. So will we see it on the Switch? Let me know what you guys think either in the comment section down below or hit me up on Twitter. I think a lot of us, especially watching this show or listening to this show on, on the podcast app, I think of a lot of us have all experienced the same thing in the past year, and that's the trials of trying to get your hands on a next-gen console, like an Xbox Series X, Series S, or a PS5. Um, In my house, my son got a PS5. He asked for it for Christmas. It took me six months to track one down. So I got him one, I think it was July and that was his Christmas present. It took six months for me. Well, that would be seven months. It took me seven months to track one down for him. And then once I secured his um, PS5, I started looking for an Xbox for me because I wanted to subscribe to Game Pass and do that stuff. Well, it took me quite a long time to get my Xbox as well. Once I finally got it, though, I stopped looking and I was like, okay, 
I, you know, I got what I want. But now I'm kind of feeling like I want to have a PS5 as well. And so I've been on the lookout for that. And it's it's really hard to get your hands on one. The other day, I'm, for those of you that don't know, I'm a teacher. The other day, I was at home. I was, uh, we had a snow day. And so I happened to be sitting at my desk on Twitter at nine in the morning, which never happens. And I saw Wario64 tweet out, hey, go to Target to get an, uh, a PS5. I clicked the link. I added it to my cart. I put in my credit card. I click, 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 click. Um, my credit card company said, um, yeah, you don't buy things from Target very much. And this is an expensive purchase. So we're shutting down your credit card because we think it's stolen. And so I didn't get my PS5 because of that. And I'm mad about it. But it just goes to show you how difficult these things are to get. But what we don't know is how rare are they? How scarce are next-gen consoles? It feels like they're super scarce. But then we get this quote from Phil Spencer. Uh, He was talking to the New York Times, and he says, supply is actually as big as it's ever been. It's the demand that is exceeding the supply. At this point, we've sold more of this generation's Xboxes, which is Series X and Series S, than we had any previous version of Xbox. And that just makes me think, Holy cow, like a year in and the Xbox is selling way more than they've ever done in the past. And we still can't get them off the shelf because they're they're just constantly just vanished from the shelves. I guarantee Sony is running into this exact same thing where they've probably sold more PS5s in that first year than they did PS4s or PS3s, etc., but it's just that the demand is so much higher that they cannot get them on the shelf. So it makes me wonder, is it that it's rare or is it just that so many people want it that it's hard to get? And I'm not sure what the answer is. I and Look, these companies, they tend not to give out hard numbers because then fanboys start saying, ah, well, this console has this many numbers and your console has that many numbers. And because of that, we're better than you and blah, blah, blah. And get out of here. If you're one of those people, get a life. What's your problem? But forget about the hard numbers. The fact of the matter is, is that more have sold than ever before. And we still can't get them on the shelves. It's incredibly impressive. And kind of frustrating at the same time because I want to I want to have a PS5 for myself, and I want to have the PS5 so I can use the PSVR2 and all that stuff and play the exclusives that Sony has that I can't play because I don't have a PS5. Like all of that is very frustrating for me that I can't get my hands on one, but at least I have my Xbox and my Switch and GeForce Now and Stadia and soon my Steam Deck and my computer. I got a billion places to play games. Do I need a PS5? Absolutely not. But I'm going to keep trying to get one because I want it. Speaking of having lots of places to play stuff, I'm really disappointed in this next story, and that's that Capcom does not have cross-play between the Nintendo Switch version of uh, Monster Hunter Rise and the PC version of Monster Hunter Rise. I plan on buying the PC version of Monster Hunter Rise, which I think the demo just came out today as I'm recording this. So I'm definitely going to try out the PC version, see how it runs on my computer. Um, I loved Monster Hunter Rise. 
last summer i put tons and tons of hours into that game i had an absolute blast using the hammer and somebody might say well why don't you just keep playing on your switch because i want to play at a higher resolution a more stable frame rate and even though the resolution and frame rate on the switch are perfectly acceptable for that kind of game it'd be nice if they were better and so i want to play on my pc and i want to play it on my steam deck when i get that order two but um i'm really disappointed that i'm not going to be able to transfer my save over and I don't understand why that is. This is definitely a game that is focused on online play. Uh, you you quite often will play Monster Hunter with other people. That's how these games are really designed. You can play it completely by yourself if you want, but playing with other people increases the fun of it a thousand percent. And the the fact that it being an online game, you would think that they would have a way for them to take your save data for your hunter and transfer that up to the cloud and then say, hey, uh, Bill is sitting at his PC right now. Let's download that data and he can play. And then when I finish, upload that data to a save and I pick up my Switch and download that. Like that would be a really cool, compelling thing. That's not going to happen. Not only is that not going to happen, but cross-play isn't going to happen. So that means if I do pick it up on PC and I want to play with a friend who, you know, they only have a Nintendo Switch... We can't play together. Very, very frustrating. There's no good reason for this not to happen. I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but it's not implemented. And if you are going to pick up the game again, you're going to have to start over from scratch. Now, if you don't have a Nintendo Switch and you've never played Monster Hunter Rise, I will tell you this. Monster Hunter games, very bad at teaching you how to play. Monster Hunter Rise is probably better than any of the other ones in the past at teaching you how to play. Definitely my favorite of the series, just because of the way that you can move, which is really fun. Um, They're bad at teaching you how to play, so definitely watch some YouTube videos on how that works. Secondly, when you play these games, um, you definitely want to keep in mind that all of all of the things that you wanted that you want to try out. You've got all these different weapons. Each weapon plays completely different. And so if you find yourself, I really don't like the sword and shield, ditch it and try something else until you find, I think there's 14 weapons. You're going to find one that speaks to you and you're going to have an absolute blast. But Monster Hunter is terrible at teaching you that. So there's your little PSA. Speaking of PC games, this is an absolute huge number Valve just hit 28 million concurrent players on Steam. That means 28 million people were all signed into Steam playing games at the same time. The numbers of people who play on Steam are way higher than that. That's just the people who happen to be online at the same time. It broke this new record, 28 million. Now you go back to 2019, they had a a peak concurrent in 2019 of 17.6 i believe so going up to 28 million from 2019 until now that's a huge huge increase um the number of people who are playing games on pc is exploding it seems like and this is the really weird part about it let's think about this the number of places 
where you can be signed in to play games on PC is getting bigger. You have the Epic Game Store, you have GOG, you have EA, you have Ubisoft has their own. Um, where else is there? I think Humble Bundle has their own launcher. You have all of these different launchers that all of these other companies are making. There's more launchers now than there's ever been in the past, which means the number of people who are playing games on PC are spreading out more. Yet the number of people who are playing at the same time just through Valve's stuff keeps going up and up and up from 17.6 million up to 28.2 million this year. Like, that's a huge increase. And you would think that that number would decrease over time with all of these different uh, places trying to leech people out away from Steam. But it it doesn't seem to be having any effect, which is why I'm super bullish on the Steam Deck because with an install base like that, there's tons of people who are heavily invested in the PC uh, space. And so picking up a system to take their games with them, I think that that thing's going to do very, very well. Um, If you didn't know, I also host a podcast called On Deck, which is a podcast about Steam Deck stuff. Obviously, we're talking about Steam Deck news and predictions about what's going to be happening uh, there. But we also will be talking about playing games on it and stuff like that. So make sure that you head on over to to the YouTube channel and subscribe if you're not already there. YouTube.com slash NerdNest. Subscribe, turn on notifications so that you see all of that stuff. But that 28 million concurrent users, super impressive, super impressive. And Steam seems to be absolutely killing it. And that's it for this episode of Games with Bill. Make sure that you check out this video right here. Thanks for watching. I'll see you guys next time. Stay awesome, everybody.